Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of One on One, a food management podcast. I'm your host, Holly Petrie, here with this week's episode. I was one on one with Crystal Cooper, the Executive Director for Nutrition Support Services at Chicago Public Schools, and we talked about how the district has been feeding students throughout the COVID pandemic. Crystal Cooper is a very big proponent of eradicating childhood hunger, and she thinks that it is very possible to eliminate the problem entirely. Listen to our podcast to hear how Crystal is helping the students of Chicago and their families be fed, no matter what their economic situation is. Hope you enjoy. Crystal, thanks so much for joining me. I'd love to hear how CPS has been handling the past year. Okay, good. Thank you for having me, Howie. Um, so when we think back to March um, of 2020, you know, we had this word COVID. We didn't know really what was happening. Um, we knew that the governor would shut the schools down. Um, so what did that mean for meals, right? We started having conversations about do we um, allow students to come daily? Do we try to not have them come daily? And um maybe come a couple days, they get multiple meals. So what we landed on was um, meal kits, right, which is something new. These are new terms, right, that we started to use, meal kits and food distribution sites. So we started with three-day meal kits that families can pick up daily. So it did not have to be a student. It could be a guardian. Um, it could be um, an aunt, an uncle, whoever, you came to the sites, so we called them, they were schools, though, essentially, but we called them food distribution because that was the only thing operationally that was happening at the schools during this time. So we called them food distribution sites. You came to pick up three meal kits. The, this was designed so that you would have meals for multiple days so that you didn't have to visit the school every day. Um, and you got, you know, you, you, it was similar to what you received during the school day, but a little more, right? So we have fresh fruit and vegetables, we had milk, we have the protein, um, and we tried to mix the menu up, right? So you wouldn't be getting the same thing every day. Um, so we started doing that and allowed all the schools were open um, because it was just easier, right? We don't want people to go out, have to go outside their community. And then you could go to any school that was near you because in Chicago, we have schools where you may be traveling outside of your neighborhood, right? So we didn't want to, folks to have to worry about that. So um, we created a website, a meal map website, where you can put in your address and you can get the closest school nearest to you, and you can just go pick up the food. Um, in addition to that, because we actually knew families were impacted by COVID at that time, we set up um, deliveries, right, which was very new for a school district. We started, we worked with a, a subcontractor that we have, and we um, set up a form where you could fill out, fill out your address, the number of students you have, and then we would deliver the meals to you, to your home. Um, we use the help of actually uh, our warehouse drivers and the subcontractor. So we've been feeding, we've been open um, mostly every day, around 266 days now, not on the weekends, um, even during spring break, even during Christmas break, which was new for us, right? We typically don't open for Christmas break. Um, we typically don't open for new uh, for spring break. So we're pretty much, the staff has been working nonstop every day. They're the real heroes of this. Um, 
you know, and we just really, I'm really thankful for the staff uh, that they kind of still came out. You know, we have a lot of staff that take public transportation. Um, we have staff that move quite often. So they didn't, you know, take it, they didn't miss a beat. So we've been operating since March of 2020 um, in this, in this zone. Well, it's interesting because CPS is, is known that, you know, a lot of students are bused to schools very far from where they live or students who live in food deserts on the south side or in the southwest. And it, there are a lot of unique problems and Chicago's such a giant district. So you had a lot of extra problems on top of just COVID that a lot of people had to do. So some of these solutions sound really interesting. Can you talk about what that was like being the one who was working on these decisions to say these students may not have food near them. This is how they get food. So let's figure that out. Yeah, I think um, the way that we approached it, right, was that as a school district, um, we provide as many meals as we can, right? So we participated in the National School Lunch Program. We participate in the summer program. We participate in after school. We participate in snacks. Um, we do a fresh fruit and vegetable program. So any program that the USDA offers, we take advantage of, right? Because we know our um, socioeconomic index, indexes in the city are high, right? So we have high, low socioeconomic statuses in, in some of our pockets of the city. Um, and we know that some of our students rely on the meals, right? They rely on food. They rely on school food, right? So they, they are um, accustomed to coming to school daily and getting a breakfast, a lunch, and a supper, and in some instances, um, you can get a second meal if you're part of our um, students living in temporary living situations, right, our STLS students. Um, in addition to, if you participate in a Saturday program, you also get a meal. So we thought it was our responsibility to keep this going, right, because the buildings can still be open. Um, we don't want to worry parents about how to figure this out, right? They already have to figure out the education part, which was completely stopped for a few weeks, right? Um, and then we didn't want to have them to have to worry about that. Plus the USDA and the Illinois State Board of Education and Nutrition side made it very clear that we could still serve meals, right? So that was kind of the first hurdle. It's like, we could still serve, and I'm going to figure out how do we do it, right? Um, and our staff was just really willing. Um, we came up with kind of creative solutions where we say, we're going to bag this food. We're going to have it outside on the table. Because of the unknown around COVID, it's going to be no contact. Um, and I think the most important part, like you said, was letting families know they don't have to really worry about where to go to get it. We're going to put it in every community so you don't have to worry about your home school, so to speak, right? We're going to just say we're offering it everywhere, and it doesn't matter what school you go to. Go to any school in your neighborhood. Um, and retrieve meals for your students. So that's one less thing you have, don't have to worry about. Now, we did team up with um, the Office of Emergency Management in the city of Chicago to make sure that the entire city is covered, right? So you kind of have zero to 18 is the school district. Then when you get to 18 and up, you have like the Chicago Food Depository, you have pantries, um, and then you have your seniors, right? So we were like, okay, we're the expert in zero to 18, so we can do that. We'll continue to work with principals and the communities to figure this out. And we just did it, you know, we just kind of got up and running and the deliveries um, was again, something very, very new. 
Uh, but we had great partners and I made it very clear along with my senior team, we are going to feed families um, and we're just not going to worry about all the logistical things that come with it because they will be and we'll work through those. And we, you know, again, we, we did it. And so what's been the community response from this? I mean, this is, it was a shock to everyone how the way that COVID affected us. We're still a year later stuck in this this kind of limbo world. Um, I mean, students aren't even really fully in school in Chicago, right? They're still, they're not moving between classrooms. And, and so, I mean, how did your community respond to you guys taking such quick action and saying, we know what the needs are of all of you. We're gonna try to meet them all as quickly as possible. Yeah, it was, um, it was pretty positive. So what we have was we have a lot of community groups that we already work with. So we have the Office of Family and Community Engagement. We have the Alderman. So what we did from a marketing perspective was we had the website, we, um, we had the meal map website, we had our internal CPS website, and then we created flyers, right, that we sent to all the aldermen's offices. We sent them to the family, uh, the face um, managers, and we actually had them on the tables during um, when food distribution times, right? So we tried to make the times from nine to one, um, again, come and pick up anywhere. and um, the the parents the students and the community members were thankful um and appreciative of the fact that it was something that didn't stop and it was not something that we said oh that's someone else's problem right so um they appreciated it right and we got you know we got emails or compliments that said we're so thankful for the fruit because remember we're doing bulk right so you may get three and four and five apples in a bag you may get six or seven cartons of milk you know it's kind of like this a grocery bag right full of things so um i think that there was probably um doubt that we would continue to do this because you know typically the food is consumed in the school but we did get the waivers on the what we call non-congregate feeding where the kids can take the food off site or the adults so once you know that was something that we passed as a hurdle it was a no-brainer so um Families and communities are really thankful, especially with the deliveries. The deliveries have probably been the most positive um, and uh, thankful, uplifting. You know, folks are thankful for the drivers because, again, it's not, we're not in the delivery business, right? We're not an Uber or Grubhub. So to try to pull it off in this environment, um, I think people are really appreciative of that. Um, and really um, now, the, the question is, are we going to be doing this forever? You know, delivery, which is fine if that's what we do. We think, we, you know, I think that it's a, if our goal is to make sure that students and families are fed, you just, you, you do what you have to do to get that done, right? You don't think about all of the traditional ways. And I think that was the thing. Tradition kind of gotten away for some people because um, they just were like, we can't really do that. And you're like, well, you really can. Um, so you just make it work. If it's part of your distribution model, it's what you have to do. So we don't have kids coming into the schools. I mean, now we have a few. Um, so how do we get the food to them, right? We can't just stop doing what we do. Yeah, I was going to ask about the future of delivery for you guys, because restaurants are used to delivery, and even this kind of demand for restaurants was unheard of in terms of delivery. So for a school district that's never done it before, that's a really big leap to make. Um, because you're starting from square one, you're not using a Grubhub or an Uber Eats, you're using totally different forms of, of transportation and delivery. 
And then as more students come to filter in, how, how do you phase that out or do you phase it out? It, is it becoming a part of people's lives now? Yeah, I think my team has asked that question and my response to that is we don't phase it out um, because I think families will have very different reasons why they can't come into the buildings, they can't come to schools and we still wanna solve for that, right? So um, now, you know, the USDA may start to roll back some of these called non-congregate feeding, but I think we just, from my perspective, um, as far as the program, the program is designed to feed students. Traditionally, yes, in the school, but we're in a very different environment now. So if the state or the USA like doesn't reimburse me, I'm gonna kind of go to my district and say, look, we need to keep doing this. We're just gonna eat the call. We'll figure it out, right? We're not gonna stop it because we don't have the funding or we're saying that's not what we normally do. I mean, normal, we're in a new normal now, right? So my goal is to always make sure that you work with the community to see what their needs are, right? If there are still needs that folks need to get meals delivered, we're not going to stop, right? We're not going to stop because something or logistically or something like that tells us that we, we can't get reimbursed and we get nervous and things like that. We, there are a lot of organizations that are interested in child hunger. Um, so we can partner with those organizations to figure out how do we, you know, make this aware that folks need food and the funding around it. So it's not something that we're just going to phase out. Um, I can't really see it going away ever. Um, and it, it may get smaller, but I don't think it's something that um, I'm interested in phasing out. And, and I'm interested in doing more. What can we do, right? I mean, I think that if you were open to reimagining how schools interact with childhood hunger and how we navigate through this, um, and if you kind of let your mind go there, you can reimagine a lot of things, right? So, um, you know, eating in the classroom, we were already doing that kind of with breakfast. We talk about lunch a little bit. What does it look like? Are we doing meal orders? Are we um, allowing, you know, students to pick and choose certain things that they do or don't want? Are we going back to some tradition? So it's a hybrid of things, but I think that you meet families and students where they are. Um, and that just means different things, right? It means that maybe we go to Saturday, Sunday, regular, you know, community where we're out in the community and we're like, we got a mobile truck, right? So that's something I'm looking at from initiative in the food truck, you know? So um, we consider ourselves in school nutrition in competition. We're a national chain restaurant is what we consider ourselves, right? So we, um, especially in Chicago, I have over 600 school sites, right, that serve food. So that's a huge chain, right? So how do we um, make it known that we're available, we're here? Because there's still quite a bit of families that don't necessarily know. I don't know people like, how? Well, if you don't, if, you know, so that's on me, right? If the marketing is not there, what are we not doing? Are we not are the hours bad? And we have, we've had some schools where we've changed kind of the morning or the evening. Um, do we have to think about a traditional day of serving food, right? Can we go after hours for parents who need to work and things like that? So we kind of take it case by case and we um, have really kind of said no is not really an answer, right? We're going to continue to push the envelope. We're going to continue to make sure families know that um, we're there to support them, right? Without them, we have no program. So 
Um, so childhood hunger has actually been proven to be a very important uh, pillar in students' lives and, and the fact that students can be fed when they're growing up actually helps determine how they grow up. And so the, the issue of feeding students, especially in a district as large, as diverse, as socioeconomically diverse as the entire city of Chicago, which most people don't know just how giant it is in terms of just land. It's, it's, the city itself is so widespread. And so you're covering so much mileage. And these kids are getting fed when sometimes there may not be anything other than fast food in their areas. So you are legitimately competing with chains to feed these students, except you're giving them fruits and vegetables um, and milk and nutrition. So that's super interesting to hear that that no matter what, you are going to keep feeding people and reaching out to them because you don't always hear words that strong from nutrition directors. Yeah, and I think sometimes, um, I don't, it may be political, it may be they're in environments where they don't have a need, right? So you, you, meet, you meet your constituents where they are, right? So some organs, some areas, and even I would argue, and I have this conversation with people, I would argue in areas where they're more affluent, people make assumptions that children are eating, but that's not true. You can be in a household where people are withholding food for reasons that they may have the financial means to do it, but they're withholding it for punishment, right? And that's a big thing that I stress, even with principals, they'll do things like, if you get a detention, they'll try to say you only get a cheese sandwich or something. I'm like, no, that, you don't, you don't use food as punishment, right? So that's not, we're not in the business of using food as punishment. Um, food nourishes us. It helps them get through the academic day. Um, if a child is hungry, they are not paying attention in the classroom. They're just not right. They're fidgety. They're hungry. They're annoyed. Um, so, you know, in my mind, childhood hunger is something that can be eradicated pretty quickly. I don't think it's something that we have that has to be where it is today. But people have very strong opinions on that. Obviously, I do, um, and and believe that it's not an everyone problem. They only think as well. It's over there. It's not me. But again, I would always argue that just because you're an influence in a home does not mean that you're eating even the basics. Right? You may not be getting you know, what's on the kind of the my plate, you know, the subgroups, the food subgroups. And you may not be getting anything at all because people know that food kind of tugs at your heartstrings and it tugs at your emotions. So people can withhold that, right? And or just because you drive a nice car, you got all this, you're assuming people are worried about food. They may not be. You may only, you may only eat once a day um, because that's just your, your, it's not important to you like that, right? So my goal is always when you're coming into the school, we take all that off the plate. Everybody's on the same playing field, right? No matter what. So no matter where you are in your socioeconomic, I don't care. Like I'm going to feed everybody and I'm going to let you know that you can be fed. And we understand the stigmas to that and everything, but it doesn't really matter where you come from, what family you come from, what your last name is, what's, you know, all the racial stuff. It doesn't matter. We put everybody on the same field because food should not be at that level in school. When you think about education, we don't say, you know, you live in this zip code, so you get more math, right? We don't say you live in this zip code, so you get more English. So it should not be that way with food. Um, and I think if more people participated and cared and, you know, 
you know, had the, uh, the words to kind of express how this affects children. And again, no matter where you live, we could probably move it a little quicker, but myself with, you know, I'm part of the, what a group we call the Urban School Food Alliance. So it's a group of large organ of school districts, including LA, uh, New York, Miami. And we get together and we talk about the challenges we have and we talk about where we want to go to kind of eradicate child hunger, you know, at that school level and how do we get people more involved. Well, that is a beautiful note to end on. What a, what a strong way. But do you, have any, do you have any suggestions for how other people can get involved from, from the groups that you've been talking to? Yeah, I think um, kind of the biggest, some of the, some of the key ones are to talk to um, your local um, legislators, elected officials um, about childhood hunger. What does it look like in the schools? What do we need to write letters? Do we need to go and, uh, you know, um, testify in front of someone um, and really advocate for children the same way we advocate around education? They should not be separated, right? Um, it's part of the school day. So we've talked about making this like from a funding perspective, we shouldn't have to scramble and figure out how do we run our businesses. We should get the same level of funding. Um, because students just simply can't, there, it's a barrier if they're hungry. You are not getting active, engaged students if they're hungry and if they have to worry about it even when school is over. That should be something they should not have to worry about. It should not be an issue. They shouldn't have to worry about it. Um, why? You're a child, right? Why do you have to worry about that? Um, so talk to the local, local elected officials. Pay attention to kind of what's going on nationally when we start to talk about things like universal free meals. What does that look like? Um, and then just in your local school district, go visit the school. Um, see what the program looks like. Do you have any input? Do you have any feedback? Um, let directors know what it is that you want to see. And then we can take that to the next level, right? Because we want to get away from school food. We want to move toward food that is served in schools and it should replicate what you eat everywhere else. Again, we know we have restrictions with sodium and sugar. That's fine, but that doesn't mean that you can't have things that students will enjoy and experience and love and eventually like. So uh, we're always trying to like train up future, you know, we call them the old school lunch ladies. Um, because they have a lot to say. They know their kids. They love their kids. Um, it's what they wake up for every day. So it's an important part of the school day, and it needs to be talked about as much as um, anything else. Great. Well, I think those are some good key steps for other districts to take and to help with this problem, because you're right, it should not be this bad, and we should be able to get childhood hunger eradicated sooner rather than later. So this is a good, hope people are listening. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of One on One, a food management podcast. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, stay safe.